I want you to turn to Titus chapter 3. Uh, you've had the, the scripture reading on the necessity of the new birth. And Titus chapter 3, beginning there in verse uh, 3, I want us to read. For we ourselves were also sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. It sounds like a mean bunch of people, doesn't it? Those are sinners. That's what we were and are apart from the grace of God. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration. We're speaking tonight on the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And renewing of the Holy Ghost, he says it in two different ways, but it's obvious that the work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's heart, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And again, the tenet that we're looking at, regeneration, is the change of heart wrought by the Holy Spirit, who quickeneth the dead in trespasses and sins, enlighteneth their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the Word of God, and renewing their whole nature so that they love and practice holiness. It is a work of God's free and special grace alone. And this work of regeneration we want to examine tonight. Lord, we thank you for your Word, how clear and plain it is. And as we delve into these doctrines, we pray that you would teach us, Lord, by your Spirit, and I pray, Lord, that as we study these things, there's someone who might be outside of Christ and yet in their sins, that you would begin that work of regeneration that would lead to repentance and faith. We pray in his precious name. Amen. A companion portion of Scripture in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or our living, our way of life in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened, again the word we use, regeneration, regenerating, he quickened, made us alive, quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. If we do not understand the anatomy or the mechanics of the inner working of conversion, of the salvation of a soul, we will never really be effective in witnessing uh, to the lost. We realize it is our duty to tell the lost of their condition and to point them to Jesus Christ. 
But how does the Spirit work? How does, does a person go from death, as these scriptures teach us, to life? What goes on in the inner man, in the heart, in the mind, in the soul that brings them to repentance and faith? The scriptures we've read tells us at least two major principles which we must understand. First of all, as we see so graphically described both here in Ephesians and in Titus, all men are spiritually dead and need a miracle to raise them. And secondly, that conversion or salvation is illustrated by birth. In the scripture reading that we heard tonight, our Lord used the analogy of of the uh, conception and the birth of a human baby. He uses that as a pattern to describe to us what takes place in the inner man that brings about the spiritual birth. The two are parallel. And there are many similarities that we need to understand. They, these two are analogous to, uh, to one another. And this is how our, our Lord and the apostles explained conversion, this miracle that takes place within the heart. There is an order then to salvation, a series of, we might put it, of inner workings by the Spirit of God to bring about salvation or the new birth. It's obvious when we study the Scriptures, beginning with the first man and woman, And as always, the law of first mention, the first record of conversion, which I believe is obviously took place in Adam and Eve's heart. If we analyze their conversion, their salvation, their being made right with God, that it was God the Father who initiated the work of conversion, was it not? When Adam and Eve sinned, they were immediately cut off from God. They believed the lie of Satan, that they would would be as God, but that was not the case. They... Uh, were alienated from God and they felt such shame and the, the breaking of their relationship that they had enjoyed, their state of righteousness was removed and they went and hid themselves and it was God who sought Adam and Eve. It was not Adam and Eve who sought God. Adam, where are you? Why, what have you done? Where are you hiding? And we see that questioning, that, that pursuit of God after those Uh, who will be saved. We see it in uh, the opening verses of Isaiah. Come now, let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet. And we could trace that throughout the Scriptures. God in His miraculous power, by His Spirit, brings the dead soul of of the sinner to life by an act that we call regeneration. As the gospel is heard or thought about, In other words, through the preaching of the gospel or through personal witness or through someone reading the word of God or uh, a tract or the the scriptures or as in Abraham's case or Paul's case, the Lord dealing with them directly and supernaturally. This call of God and uh, the Puritan writers and our forefathers and of course the scriptures refer to this as the call of God, this call, this initial work of God enlightening And awakening the dead soul is referred to as the effectual call. It is a call from God to the sinner individually and personally to repent and to believe on Christ. And he does that by regenerating the sinner. Psalm 18, I remember reading this verse uh, very early in my conversion. And I began to think about it. In Psalm 18, verse 27, For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but thou wilt bring down the high looks. For thou wilt light 
my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. That enlightening, that illumining, that regenerating work that God does by His Spirit. And we speak of regeneration in two ways. First, it is thought of as that moment in the the life or the heart of a sinner when the Holy Spirit implants the seed of spiritual life in the soul as the gospel is heard and pondered. And it affects the mind and the heart and the will and begins everything else in that conversion process. We speak of that initial work of regeneration, of enlightening. And then we speak of regeneration as the whole process of conversion. Sometimes that word is used synonymously with the conversion process. But we need to understand the steps that are in that process that brings about conversion from the hearing of the gospel on through assurance of new life in Christ. Our Lord told us exactly what happens in salvation. It is a birth. You must be born again. And then the question arises by Nicodemus, how can that be? What do you mean? How can I? And he, he's so perplexed. He asks, how can I enter again into my mother's womb and be born? What do you mean? And our Lord asks a question, are you not, you're one of the leading rabbis? One of the leading teachers in Israel, and you do not understand this work of regeneration? He should have. The Bible tells us about it. It is replete with examples in the Old Testament. We could think of Ezekiel commanded to preach to dry bones. What a ridiculous thing that is, preaching to dry bones. God will make these dry bones live. That's an example, a pattern, a picture of conversion, of regeneration. Analogous to our physical birth from conception to delivery. Life begins at conception. Every one of us believe that. In fact, we're so adamant about it that those who are against uh, or who are for abortion, we we say that life does not begin at the, the sixth month or the eighth month or at the point of delivery. When does life begin? At the moment of conception. And when you, our Lord gave us this pattern of a new birth, Our new birth begins at that moment of conception, that moment when the seed is planted, that moment of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. So it is in salvation. Being born again. How? Not of corruptible seed. Again, we have that pattern of seed and conception. But of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And then Peter goes on and says, this is the gospel. This is the plan of salvation. When the Holy Spirit has regenerated a heart, a spiritual birth will occur. And if the Holy Spirit does not cause regeneration or conception, there can be no birth. It's as simple as that. All of us are here without going into a biological lesson here tonight. We're all here because of conception and uh, the the travail and the labor. And there was a birth that brought us into this world. This regeneration, this conception begins at the very beginning of the conversion process. And if it did not occur, I would repeat, there would be no conversion. There's no birth without the implantation of the seed in the womb of of the mother. And if there's no uh, regeneration, there's no conception of the Holy Spirit, there'll be no spiritual birth. If first there's regeneration and then repentance and faith in those other uh, sections or steps of salvation will occur. Now, even though we use this analogy and our Lord uses this analogy himself, we must not think that from the point of conception, I'm sure no one does, but let me be point of, to clear out, clear up that 
It is not a nine-month process. There's not a certain amount of time. We, 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 those things are we're ignorant of. We don't know uh, from the point of conception to the point of assurance how long a process that would be. In some people, it's a flash. It's almost instantaneous. In others, you will have testimonies that I heard the gospel and I rejected it and there was this warfare in my soul and there was some, in some of your testimonies tonight, you could tell us of a laboring process a convicting and laboring and a travail that came about before your conversion. And there are others who came to Christ very simply as a child or, or when you heard the gospel, you just by faith, you received it and there was no notable uh, laboring process, but these steps did take place when you consider what takes place that brings about true conversion. Now, this regeneration begins at the very beginning of the conversion process. And I'm going to repeat, if it did not occur, there would be no birth. There would be no conversion. First, there's regeneration, and then repentance and faith will follow. Jesus said that conversion or regeneration and conception begins with the Father. Just as our own uh, conception began with the Father. John 6, verse 44 tells us, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Murmur not among yourselves. He did something. He, could, he knew what they were talking about. He's God. And they're murmuring. He could read their thoughts. And we hear this rebuke. Jesus said, Don't murmur. Nobody likes to hear people murmuring behind their back or around them. And, and Jesus said, Quit murmuring among yourselves. Because he had said some things that they didn't like. And he said, No man can come to me. Except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's resurrection, isn't it? There must be a drawing process by the Father through His Spirit. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. That's why the Lord asked Nicodemus, don't you understand these things? All the prophets wrote about this. Jesus said, and they, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. That's certainly an effectual call, isn't it? All who have heard this will come to me. In verse 63, he says, It is the Spirit that quickeneth. It is the Spirit that regenerates. It is the Spirit that plants the seed of conception within the human soul. The flesh profiteth something. Is that what it says? The flesh can help out in this process. You do your part. What does Jesus say? The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Can you imagine him knowing all of that and still loving and ministering to them and treating Judas just like he... He never treated him any different than he treated any of the other disciples. My, you know the person that's going to do you in and you wash his feet... And treat him with graciousness and kindness, even though he would never repent, he would never come to you. He knew from the beginning they that were that believed not in who should betray him. And he said, Therefore I said I unto you that no man, he repeats it, no man can come, is enabled to come unto me, except it were given unto him of my Father. So there must be God the Father. As in a natural birth, a human father, God the Father initiates this work of regeneration and conversion. Salvation, conversion starts with an act of God in the human heart. And he uses instruments. 
We never put down or make light of the means that God uses to bring about His work. He uses human instruments, preachers, soul winners, evangelists, Sunday school teachers, tracts, missionaries, and uh, through the day of all kinds of media, people hear the gospel. He uses the means, we could go on and on, but it is He that draws the sinner to himself and who makes them willing to repent and to believe on Christ. That word draw, our Lord used that word. No man can come except the Father draw him. It is a very strong word. It's not just a, an attraction merely. It has more of the, con- the connotation of a huge draw of a magnet. If you've all played with magnets and a magnet snatches up the, the pieces of metal and brings it to them. There's this, this uh, irresistible drawing of the magnet. There are other pictures we could give, like the fishermen drawing in 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 the days of of the New Testament time, these nets of fish that had to be dragged onto the shore. And we could give other uh, illustrations. But it's a strong uh, pull. We think of, for example, Saul on the road to Damascus. What a picture of, of this very thing that we're talking about. Saul was not seeking for God. He thought he already found him, didn't he? He was very satisfied with his religious standing and very proud of it, by the way. He had done everything on the checklist to get him into heaven, he thought. He was zealous. He was determined. He thought he was right. He could argue with anybody who had any kind of opposing view. He could debate doctrine right and left. He was a walking Bible encyclopedia. Probably had most of the scripture memorized. I mean, can you imagine coming against Saul? Well, the Lord did, didn't he? Stopped him dead in his tracks. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he answered, you know, the the conversion of Saul. Lord, uh, who art thou? You're persecuting me, Saul. We think of Lydia in Acts 16, verse 14. A certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God. So she was a worshiper and lost, sincere but lost, going to prayer. She was at a prayer meeting, but had not been regenerated. Heard us. You see, the the instrument that God uses, she heard us. Who did you hear? Paul and the, the missionaries preached the gospel. She heard the gospel whose heart the Lord opened and that she attended into the things which were spoken of Paul. She gave evidence of conversion, was baptized, and opened her house for the church there. Second Corinthians 4, verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. The heart is darkened and spiritually dead. Until God shines in it, illumines it. Charles Wesley wrote that beautiful hymn of testimony. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth. And followed thee. This first act in salvation then is a a creative act of God, no less miraculous than the worlds that were spoken into existence. And 
I would venture to say no less miraculous than the, the miraculous virgin birth of our Lord, which was an act of the Holy Spirit. No less an act, a miraculous act than the raising of the dead. This first miraculous God doing business in our hearts, shining into our hearts His Word, His truth, His seed, which will bring about a spiritual birth. Regeneration is the first stage of that which will lead to conversion and assurance of salvation. But what follows is repentance and faith and forgiveness of sins and even, as I've mentioned, the assurance and the joy and the peace and all the byproducts that the Holy Spirit alone can produce in our hearts of the new birth that that follow faith and repentance. Psalm 32 verse 5 says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Psalm 145, verse 19, He also will hear their cry and will save them. Psalm 147, verse 3, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. And so we say that that forgiveness and, and the conscience new birth follow the act of repentance. In conversion, God's procedure is to plant the seed of spiritual life in the heart that will give rise to godly repentance and faith. And then he responds in a gracious way. And this is God's order. Just as, again, our Lord gave that picture of a, of a human birth, in the spiritual birth within the heart, this is what takes place. Unseen, uh, people might not even can trace. Now, sometimes if you're close to someone, you may think the Lord is working in their heart. Uh, you can tell there's a change that's coming uh, over them. Sometimes a, a person under conviction may act a, a very hostile. There may be a struggle, but often some others who are spiritual can discern a spiritual work going on uh, in a person's heart. Just like I'm told that sometimes women can, can just tell when, when uh, another lady is in the, the family way that she's going to have a baby. But this work of the Holy Spirit within a heart, it sometimes is seen and sometimes it's not. Uh, it, it, it's not traced, but this is what's going on inside. Think about Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return into the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God he will abundantly pardon Jeremiah 29, 13, You shall seek me and find me when you shall search me with all your heart. Lamentations 3, verse 25, The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. Hosea 10, verse 12, It is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Zechariah 1, verse 3, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you. And so we see this miraculous work of the Spirit when a person looks back over their salvation experience, their conversion. They always see it as a a single event, a specific time, a particular service, or a certain circumstances. As we look back on our own birthday, and all I can tell you is that I was born December 23rd, 1957. Write that down. That's an important date that you, you need to know. 
but but there were events that led up to December twenty third, nineteen fifty seven, unseen to me, unknown to me. I was unaware of them, but they took place and they happened just the same. And so there is a salvation order, or if you will, a stages of conversion, and we will we can enumerate them in this way. There is conception where the seed of God's Word, His initial work of the Spirit, is wrought about in the heart, which brings about the conviction process, convicting the person, yes, I am lost, there's something, I need the Lord. And they may express it in different ways, but the Holy Spirit's conviction will show a person of their condition, which will lead to repentance and faith. And repentance and faith... And we will speak of these in greater detail in another message. But they're two sides of the same coin. We cannot divorce one from the other. There are those who debate the, the, the nuances of repentance and faith. I will tell you, they're one in the same. They're together in true conversion. Without them both, there is not the, the true conversion. And so repentance and faith are, are joined together. They're inseparable. And then justification, a, a consciousness of a spiritual change. God justifies us, but we're made aware of it, that our sins have been forgiven, that we have been cleansed, and that the new birth has taken place. And a converted person may not be able to explain it. Remember the blind man? They said, what happened? How did you know? he begin to question him? What did he say? Well, you can say whatever you want to. All I know is that I was blind, but now I see. And so we, that may be our testimony. We look back on it and say, I was lost. I was undone. I heard the gospel. Someone came to my door, knocked on the door. Whatever those circumstances were, but if you were to enter, to be able to dissect and look with a spiritual microscope in your heart, this is what took place. And then not, we say conception, conviction of sin, repentance and faith, justification, this consciousness of a spiritual change that's taking place. And then fifthly, assurance. Now, in this process, assurance is one that sometimes people struggle with. And and we will discuss that. But assurance comes that I know I have passed from darkness into life. I know that I'm a child of God. But the assurance of our salvation is not something that a soul winner or a pastor can give you. I've seen people try to talk people into assurance. Oh, of course, and they just go through the Scriptures and go, well, of course, right here, look at this right here. And, and we are to give Scripture and to help people. But let me tell you, only the Holy Spirit of God can give assurance of, of conversion. The, the Spirit of truth only deals in truth. The Holy Spirit of God is very sensitive. He can be grieved And the same Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin and that we are a sinner and need to be saved can be grieved to the point even after conversion that the the assurance is not there and that we begin to wonder about our... I've heard people say I've never after their conversion, I've never doubted one time of my standing in Christ. And, And that may be. You may have that testimony. I seriously doubt it, but... But if that's your, your testimony, I won't argue with it. But I will just be here to tell you that is not, has not been my own experience. And the reason for that is the same Holy Spirit that showed me I was a sinner has been grieved that I, of my sin after my conversion. And that process is, feels the same. Same conviction, the same grieving, the same withdrawing. The Holy Spirit is grieving. We might describe it as a withdrawal. Because when you're in grief, you don't function as you would normally, do you? There's a withdrawing. There is a, a, 
a paralysis, if you will, in grief that, that we're not able to process and do exactly as we would. And this work of the Holy Spirit, when we grieve Him by our sin and, and unrepentant sin, going on into sin, that year that David was unrepentant of his deeds that he did, you read those penitential psalms. He felt sick. His bones were out of joint. He, he could not function. He said, why? The whole time, the Holy Spirit of God was grieved. And so assurance, that blessed gift, all of this is a gift of the Spirit, isn't it? The conception or regeneration that brings about repentant, conviction and repentance and justification and then, then assurance is all a work of the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit of God. Let me repeat, without conception, we cannot be saved. The the seed of God's Word must be planted in our heart. That's why we're so uh, bent on getting the gospel out. There will be no salvation apart from it. And the the Word of God is that seed that brings about the, the, the regeneration. It is when a person begins to feel his need for cleansing, to be made right with God, that the dead sinner has been raised to see his need, and without conception, the person never sees the need for repentance. If you're in a, in a skyscraper and someone is saying, the, the building's on fire, we better leave. Uh, uh, some people may say, well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't smell any smoke, I don't see anything, and they remain unconcerned. I'm told if you read accounts of uh, like the sinking of the Titanic, there were people who refused to believe that the ship was taking on water and that it was sinking. They just were not moved. They refuse to, to see it. And so often it is the same way with the, the gospel. They, they refuse to believe it. I see no need. That's, that's your opinion. This is my opinion. They remain un, unmoved. The heart of stone. What is the difference? The heart of stone must be melted. The resistant heart of every sinner is a resistance toward spiritual things and toward the, the Lord that must be melted down. Again, we look at Saul. What, how can you explain that apart from a melting of the resistance of the hardened heart of, the, of, of Saul. He would have argued with anybody that he was right with God, that he was doing the Lord's will, and that he was a choice servant of the Lord until he met the Lord in full surrender there on the road to Damascus. Now, the, the corpse must be given life and, and resurrected. Paul writes in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he, he tells us that... Uh, God hath revealed these things to us, how? By His Spirit, in verse 10. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. In verse 12, now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. In verse 14, the natural or the unsaved man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, Neither can he know them. He's not able to understand them until what? Because they are spiritually discerned. Only with the aid of the Holy Spirit of God can a person see these things. Conception affects the heart, the affections. It affects the mind, the intellect. It affects the will, the determining faculty, so that the gospel is received and believed. This leads to the sinner being awakened or alarmed or convicted about his sins. It's the Philippian jailer. We see that what that alarm, what must I do to be saved? What brings a person to that alarm place, that urgency, and that, that sense that I'm undone and I'm going to have to 
stand before God or, or die and he spend eternity in the hell. He was so insistent, what must I do to be saved? There's a marvelous book that, that every believer should read, I think, and that's saying a lot, isn't it? And it's certainly every Christian worker, Sunday school teacher, is written by Dr. Peter Masters, the pastor of the Tabernacle, the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. And it's called Physicians of Souls. And it speaks of those who are soul winners and preachers and, and anyone who um, tries to give out the gospel as a, a spiritual physician. And in his book, he helps to see these things so clearly. And he says, when conception occurs, the rebellious person immediately moves into the twin experiences of being awakened to his lost predicament and convicted of sin. Some teachers prefer to join this conception, awakening, conviction as one event, and so they are in a sense. However, because conception is instantaneous, whereas awakening and conviction may gather strength over a short period of time, it is best to keep the latter category in, latter in a category of their own. Awakening is perfectly illustrated by the parable of the prodigal son. When a mighty famine arises, the son at first tries to solve his own problems by working for a citizen of that country. Then a remarkable change of attitude occurs, doesn't it? Expressed in the words, and when he came to himself. The Greek literally means, and when he woke up. Don't we pray that? Lord, show them the air of their way. Bring them to the end of themselves. We pray that for people. When he woke up, help them to wake up and see their predicament. The first effect of conception is that the sinner wakes up and sees his spiritual situation just as the prodigal suddenly saw his tragic and foolish state, crying out, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? What caused him to awaken and come to his senses? That was that regenerating work of the Holy Spirit that brought him to the Father, repentant to the Father, and asking the Father to restore him. God uses means to do His will. And He has appointed the means to bring about these things. The foolishness of preaching. Uh, personal witness. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch was riding along. couldn't take. He, could, he was reading the Bible and could not make sense of it. He asked, what did He ask the evangelist? Is this person, whoever is writing, is He talking about Himself or is He talking about somebody else? He was reading Isaiah's beautiful prophecy of the Messiah. We so clearly see... Do you know there are people, the Jews, well, they'll read Isaiah 53 and see nothing of the Messiah in that? That that's not even talking about the Messiah whatsoever? And we who have been enlightened by the Holy Spirit, we see the Calvary and, and the work of Christ in that one chapter more than any other chapter in the Bible. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And, and the Ethiopian said, who's that talking about? Who, what is this? He spent all that time and energy and effort and money. He'd come to Jerusalem because he heard there was a temple there. The truth, the creator God, the truth was there. His chosen people were there. He had a word. And I, evidently he bought a, a scripture, which is very, it was very expensive to buy, a handwritten copy of his own. And he had the scroll opened up to Isaiah, and he still didn't know. He, he was on his way back home to Ethiopia, dejected and, and wondering, you know, I made this pilgrimage. I've done all this spiritual work. I'm sincere. You know, he just didn't get it. Why didn't he get it? 
Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I understand what I'm reading unless somebody tells me? Now, Philip was the human means. The word of God was the means that the Holy Spirit used. But I will tell you, that man would have never understood what Isaiah 53 was talking about if the Holy Spirit had not illumined him and opened his heart and mind by the work of regeneration. And what a glorious teaching that is. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But there must be an initial work of conception, of quickening inside the heart. Again, Dr. Masters writes, although conception is instantaneous, this ensuing experience of being awakened may dawn and deepen over a period of time. As the outward agency of preaching and counseling and reading continues to be used by the Spirit to press gospel truth home to the soul. Again, when we look back over our conversion, our salvation, we will date it to a particular date, a revival, a camp, a meeting, someone dealing with us, or we came to the end of ourselves. But if we truly knew about it, and if we were honest about it, if we began to examine it, we remember when the Lord first began to speak to our hearts. And it may have been the planting of the seed by Sunday school teachers or by our parents teaching us the, 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 the ABCs of the gospel that led to that work where the Holy Spirit opened our hearts and brought us to that place of repentance and faith. We praise the Lord for the work of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God moved upon the, the face of the deep in creation. It was instrumental in, in creation. We see it there. The Holy Spirit allowed a cause by His sovereign work, Mary, to become expectant with the, 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 the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that speaks to our heart and brings about a work of conception, regeneration, that will lead to repentance and conversion. We praise the Lord for His, his working of His Spirit. The song says, I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin... Of bringing him and cre creating faith within. But we do know this, what? He does it. I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that, which I have committed to him against that day. Praise be to God the Father who initiates conversion. Praise be to God the Son who made it possible for us to be saved. Praise be to the Holy Spirit who accomplishes that work in us by His mighty, mighty work. What an humbling thing. Who could boast? All we can do is point to the gospel and point to our Savior and say, Oh, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You of Your doctrines, these deep words, these precious truths that we praise You for. Lord, we could not... Of ourselves, we think nothing of ourselves, nothing in our hands we bring, but simply to thy cross we cling. And I pray, Lord, that even this preaching of this glorious doctrine would open hearts and enlighten men and women to their need for the Savior and bring them to repentance and faith and assurance, we pray. And may we do all that we can to assist and help and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.